episode of Daddy Square, the Gay Dads Podcast. I'm Mrs. Doubtfire. Hi, I'm Queen. Alex. <laughs> I'm Alex. I'm Jan. Welcome to another episode. Last night's couple therapy was fun. Was it though? What do you say? I mean, fun? you know, we often talk about this and we haven't talked about it for a while. And I just wanted to say that my takeout from every like tough couples therapy session that we have yeah. is that what makes every relationship better is that both sides want to really be here and face our own shit. If you don't and take responsibility. If you don't if yeah, look, I mean I think that it is a simple truth that if both parties don't not only want the relationship work to work, but don't believe that couples therapy is capable of helping, then there's no reason in doing it to do I don't think it's therapy. the the couples therapy thing. I think it's the the actual state of mind because when I, when we talk to a married couple who is like having a fight and everybody's blaming each other. Yes. And they're not like thinking about, they're not thinking towards, but they're thinking like divide. That's the thing. I mean, well, I, I think but that, I actually think that that's why couples therapists are so valuable because at least during the 50 minute or 48 minute period that you're talking to them, both sides try to put aside the competitive aspect of it not all the time no, there are some people the who are just not in that state of mind yes and i think that that's really important however yes um yes we were talking about the fact that i don't know how to have fun girls just want to have fun but my husband well he may want to he may you may want to have i do fun. i do you i look at photos and i'm like yeah that's the fun that i want to have however like when it comes to real life it's like I don't experience well, it this here's, time. Well, here, here's what I want our wonderful listeners, both here and abroad, to know about Jan. Tell Jan, them. <laughs> Open book. Uh, my husband is the guy who, when... Oh, let's use Eurovision. So Eurovision is coming up. It what It was coming up. And you know what he says? He's so excited about Eurovision, right? But what does he say? He says, Eurovision is coming, and then it'll be over. And then I'll have to wait another year for it to come. <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't even happened yet. And he's always plan already planning for the, the the depression that, by the way, does come. For those of you who don't know, there is such a thing. Hence how my voice sounds like this. That's right. There is such a thing for, for him as post-Eurovision syndrome. And it's it's not pretty. Yeah, well... What can I say? I am that kind of person who thinks forward. That's all. No, that's all I have not, to say. That's not what it is. It's that you you're constantly thinking about what you're not doing and what you're not doing. What right. am I missing? Yeah, what you're missing, but also what you're not doing right. And yeah. and and I think that um, you know there's a certain amount of joy that can come from saying that at this moment in time. I hate to sound like the Bhagavad Gita right now, but yeah. you know, uh, uh, that at a certain point in time, it's possible to say I'm here right now doing this, and this is a thing that makes me happy and brings me pleasure, and we'll do other things later. I'm here right now hosting the podcast with the person I love the most in this world, and it's amazing. Mm, see, I'm not buying what you're selling, but okay. Daddy squared around the world. Each episode, we visit a different country. Today, we visit the United Kingdom. 
And I have a... I know we talk a lot about me today, so I'll just keep with that theme. Is that yeah, okay with you? Yeah, let's stay with the theme of talking about you. Me, me, me. Um, I, I just want to tell you that uh, when I was a kid, I, I often talk about how I was bullied. I was pretty much a very sad kid. I grew up in the south of Israel. It wasn't an easy upbringing there. Um, and the whole thing was that I had this world that I created to myself that is all about music. This was my escape room. A big part of it was Kylie Minogue, but the larger part of it was music that comes from the UK. Mm-hmm. So the whole culture and the whole... Uh, I, I came very familiar with British culture. I'm always a little bit moved when I see the effect that England has on Jan. We went to London once and together, and to see him walking around and looking at it, it's be- it's beautiful, actually. It it's really touches him. Growing up, I have some personal connection to the UK, and I'm often been called an honorary Brit because of that. I know. Well, it's the accent, too. People will mistake you for English oh, all the time. Please. <laughs> I used to think that the American accent was stupid. Yes. And now when I'm living in America, the British accent sounds a little bit, like, you know, strange. No, I, Not to I, say funny. I have to say, one of the things that's beautiful about the world is that at, the more you learn about any country, the more you learn that there are... Um, high-class sounding accents in that country and like mouth-breathing, knuckle-dragging. I like the mouth-breathing, knuckle-dragging. I actually kind of do, too. (laughs) Um, And if we want to learn more, so let's go to some facts about the UK. All right. So it was founded. You know that the foundation, it's a little bit tricky because we're talking about the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. So in 1707, England and Scotland were united and it was called the Kingdom of Great Britain. Mm -hmm. And then in 1801, Ireland joined, and it became the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. And then in 1922, Ireland left, and it became United Kingdom as we know them today. Interesting. But wait a minute. The United Kingdom also had all of these colonies, the Commonwealth around the world that that, that predate the 1800s by a lot. I know, but we're not talking about We're okay. talking about the country as we know today. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Because this is not a history lesson, <laughs> and Alex. And then they belong to Europe, and then they don't belong to Europe. For God's sake, And then they get zero points in Eurovision. <laughs> Population is 68 million. Yeah. Currency is the British pound. Mm-hmm. And the national food... Now, I researched national food, and they don't, like, each of the countries have. Do we have a national food in America? In America? I think it's a hamburger and fries. No? Uh, Like a pizza with cheese stuffed crust? All right, go ahead. Uh, In Scotland is haggis. Haggis, yes. Yeah, it's a Scottish national jizz. Jizz. It's the Scottish national jizz. What would Freud say about that? It's a sheep's stomach. Yes. Yeah? Oh, yes. oh, I know. It's always good to serve a food inside another food. Uh, in Wales, it's uh, coal. It's a stew uh, with bacon and lamb. Okay. And cabbage. All right. It's, it's stuffed into and, a brain. And guess what's the England's one? Oh, please say spotted dick. No. It's chicken tikka masala. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Seriously? Well, like, have that's they... what they, they claim it rose to fame in 1972. <laughs> um, it's not only the most popular 
food in England, uh, it also represents the British absorption and adoption of uh, external influences. Yes, meaning that they conquered India and then they <laughs> absorbed chicken tikka masala. Yeah. It's, I love chicken tikka masala, just to be clear. I really do. Second place, I, by the way, is Yorkshire pudding, which sounds a little bit more British. I think Yorkshire pudding is meat-based. I don't think it's like pudding the way we think it is. Oh. We're going to have to look it up. Mm. Yeah. Three things you didn't know came from the UK. Stamps. Okay. In 1840. Okay. Did you know that? Well, I didn't know I'm trying to find that. stuff well, that you don't know because me? Alex knows a lot of stuff and it's kind of hard to surprise him. <laughs> the thing that bothers me is the date. I find it hard to believe. 1840 something. I find it hard uh, to believe that there weren't 18... stamps until... Okay. Well, you can Google it. Okay. Uh, YMCA. Oh, that's interesting. That's right. And there yes. was, by the way, there's a YMCA in Jerusalem that's there from the time of the, of the mandate. That beautiful, oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, so you kind of know that. I did. Um, and the third thing that came from the UK is time. Da, da, da. GMT. Ah, yes. GMT yes. is like... Uh, Greenwich, their, Greenwich Mean Time. Yes. yes, it's their Royal Observatory in Greenwich, London. So... All okay. of us okay. are hold on. going through London time. Hold on, hold on. So I don't know whether you want to edit this or you want to just live with your shame. Tell but me. It's not Greenwich. You are supposed to be some kind of Anglophile who loves England. If you say Greenwich, they will smack you upside the head. Tell it's me. not a sandwich. Greenwich. Greenwich. Greenwich mean time, yes. You know, I'll live with the shame. <laughs> there are many mysteries. I'll world. live with the shame. It's uh, like if you go to New York and you, if you ask someone where Houston Street is, <laughs> they will smack you upside the head. Uh, UK won Eurovision five times in uh, 1967, 69, 76, 81, and 1997 with Katrina and the Waves. But and not in 2021. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. Um, and what else do I have to tell you about that? Oh, our guest. Tell us about our yeah, guest. Yeah, I'm going to tell you about our guest. Our guest today is Charlie Condu. He's an actor. He started in the mid-80s when he was a teenager. He's most known for his role on Coronation Street. With I, I'm trying to think, like, what's the American equivalent of Coronation Street? Probably, like, the bold and the beautiful. Oh, is it like that? It's like a soap opera soap opera? Yeah. Okay. It's like a daily thing. Oh, all right. Currently, he's playing in the British medical drama of BBC called Holby City. It's kind of Grey's Anatomy. Okay. Um, his husband is Cameron, and they have a shared kid with Catherine Cunter. She's also an actress. Um, and he was named Man of the Year by Attitude Magazine. It's the gay magazine in cool. the UK in oh, 2012. He's an advocate for LGBT families. And he set up a company a year later in 2013 uh, that called Out With The Family, which puts events for LGBT families. Mm. Uh, are you ready? Am I ready to board a British Airways flight to England? <sighs> My God, yes. I miss oh, you, we do. <laughs> you know that it's okay to make fun of English accents. I've decided. The English, you have to, they just have it I must admit, them. and you're going to hear Charlie right now, when yeah. they speak and oh. it's like a male voice, you, can, good. you just take your pants off and just <laughs> whatever. Just do I whatever. I don't know about that. Yeah, for more for you, I, I find them just, you hear their voices and you just want to entrust them with things. You're like, oh, yes, you can hold my money. We're going to United Kingdom. Love you, guy. Bye-bye. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. 
Let's talk about the UK uh, in mm-hmm. terms of, of gay rights first. I assume that everything is great in the UK. <laughs> am, I, am I correct? I mean, beside of the princess death. Ah, rest, <laughs> in death. rest in peace. Aside from the royal family, yeah. which yes. we, probably, we probably shouldn't get into. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what, what do you mean for gay people, for the yes. LGBT community? Yeah, before we get into the having the kids, we like to lay the groundwork uh, for those yeah. people outside think, of the UK to understand. That, you know, listen, as, as I'm sure you know, there is always further that we can go um, until we have true equality, which we absolutely don't in the UK. But I would say in general, things here are good. They are better than they have been. They are certainly better better than they were when I was a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you, you see with the younger generation of LGBTQ community, you know, they walk around the streets holding hands, which is something that we certainly never would have done. Right. Um, there's, everything seems to be so much more acceptable, um, gay relationships as a whole and gay people as a whole. Um, the fact that, you know, we can get married now as, as almost as if we're real people. Um, <laughs> And the fact that we can have children, um, which is something that, you know, is is relatively new, I suppose. I mean, I think gay women have quietly been getting on with having kids for a long time because, right. you know, it's easier for women to have children. Gay men, it didn't really feel part of the conversation um, for a long time. And I think if you were a gay man and you wanted to be a parent, you either got married to a woman and went down that lie um or you parked it and you thought okay well this is something that i'm going to have to put out of my mind and put out of my life because it's not an option for me gay people couldn't adopt children surrogacy wasn't a thing i'm talking you know going back a a decade or so Mm, yeah um and you know we're in a very very different place now um and younger gay men uh today even if they, you know, they get into a relationship and even if they don't want to have kids, it's still part of the conversation. They'll still have that discussion and right. say, do you want to start a family? Do you want to be a parent? No, I don't. Great. Neither do I. Let's not. Let's get a dog. <laughs> Whatever. But, and that's new. That, mm. that never used to be something that was even, you know, an option. It right, was certainly right. not something that was discussed. Well, but, so, yeah, I think to answer your question, yes, I think things are much better here now in terms of, of gay rights, but we've still got a long way to go. So in the UK right now, if a gay man wants to have kids, they mm-hmm. have, as far as I count, three options, like going through surrogacy, adopting, mm-hmm. or joint parenting, co-parenting. Yeah, Is that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about adoption first. So I, I guess mm-hmm. that was the first thing that was legalized in the UK. I'm not an expert on on adoption because I didn't adopt. Um, so I, I'm not 100% sure. What I do know is that um, it's, it seems to be very dependent on the area that, of the UK that you're in. Um, a lot of it is council-led, so it's localized. Um And so, for example, in London, it depends which borough of London you live in um, to how easy it is to adopt. Wow. Uh, but certainly it's being being gay is, is, is no obstacle to that anymore. Um, uh, but yes, it, it, more than that, I don't, I don't know. I'm no, I'm no expert, or expert on and, adoption because we, do- we didn't go down that route. Is that, is that something that you see a lot, though? Um, 
gay men adopting or is it like what is the prefer like if you if you if you can say from what from what you see like um, i think people do it in all sorts of different ways i think a lot of people adopt uh because i think in in some ways it's easier i mean you have a lot of bureaucracy to go through in a long journey but I mean, it's certainly not as expensive as surrogacy, which is something that's still a lot of money. Um, you know, it depends on where you go, but it, it, it still costs a lot. Um, and co-parenting has its own complexities as well. So sure. a lot of people go down the adoption route just because I think in a lot of ways it's simpler. Um, I, I do know a lot of people that have gone for surrogacy just because I think if they can afford it, it can make things neater. Um, it's, you know, certainly a lot of couples prefer to use surrogacy because they don't necessarily want birth parents involved right. or, you know, other another family if you're co-parenting or whatever. So I think a lot of people go down that route for that reason. Um, when I started thinking about my, my journey to becoming a parent, I was very young. I wanted to be a parent from a very young age. Oh, tell um, us. Tell us what that age is because I got to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I kind of thought about being a, a dad in my early teens. I mean, oh I didn't gosh. think I'm going to do it now, but I knew that I wanted to be a parent. Um, and I think that by the time I came out when I was 18 – uh, I knew that it wasn't going to be quite as simple for me. Right. Uh, but, but you I still thought it's going to happen even after you came yes, out? Yes, I did. I just thought this is going to require a bit of thought now wow. because I'm clearly not going to make somebody pregnant <laughs> you know, by accident. Um, so I started to think about it more and I, I had a few conversations with friends of mine um, ab about it and, and I realized that whenever I talked about being a dad... I talked about when I become a dad rather than if I become a dad. And I always had that. It, it wasn't even a conscious thing. It was just something that I knew that I would do. And I didn't know how, but I, I knew that it would, it would happen or I was determined to make it happen. Um, I didn't, I suppose, in a subconscious way, I didn't really want to give myself any options for it not to be a possibility. Um, and as I got older and realized that, you know, it was something that I wanted to do sooner rather than later, uh, you know, surrogacy wasn't a thing then. Mm -hmm. Gay men couldn't adopt then. Certainly single gay men couldn't adopt then. Um, so co-parenting was something that it wasn't even a word then. It, right. But it seemed like the best option to me. I'm going to have to find a female friend who wants to have children with me. Now, of course, in my naive, you know, <laughs> early 20s mind, I thought, yeah, that'll be fine. Somebody will want to have a kid with me. You know, who wouldn't? Um, <laughs> I then realized that actually a lot of straight females, it's not their first choice. <laughs> um, it's not the way that they think about doing it. But, you know, I started to have that conversation with girlfriends of mine, um, you know, and I had it with a, a few friends just in a very vague kind of, you know, well, what if, what if, you know, right. when you get older. And I had one friend in particular, Catherine, who, um, you know, she said, yeah, I, I want to be a, I want to be a parent. And if I'm still single at 40, then yeah, you know, let's get on with it. And it was a bit of a joke because of course, why yeah. would she still be single at 40? Um, but she was. <laughs> and she followed through uh, with that. I mean, that's amazing. That's radical. The fact that she followed through with that. I mean, uh, what well, is, it was. It oh. kind of was actually, but I think she, um, 
she did hit 40 and suddenly realised that if she didn't get on with it, it wasn't going to happen for yeah. her. And she really wanted to be a mum. So she uh, was like telling you, remember that 20 years ago we talked about this? this sort a- of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it hadn't been quite 20 years, but it had certainly been 10 wow. um, when we'd started talking about it. And so, you know, we sat down and said, OK, well, let's talk about it then. How would it work? Right. Uh, you know, how, how would it, you know, what are these, we didn't, we didn't know anybody that had done anything like this at all. This was completely new territory mm. for both of us, but also for everybody. I mean, you, people just weren't doing this. So, you know, we talked about every eventuality, all the possible scenarios that could happen. What would happen if somebody moved to Australia? I don't know why right. everyone always thinks about Australia because I don't know anyone that's moved to Australia. <laughs> but, you know, we talked about it anyway. Um, and, I, and I knew very quickly that if I was going to co-parent that it had to be 50-50. I didn't want to be a dad that was just around every other weekend right. and, you know, for Christmas. Yeah, that was never going to happen. So we talked about it and I said, I need to be part of this um a a completely equal parent Um, and she was definitely on board for that and so we started to talk about it more and more seriously um at which point i had met my now husband cameron uh we've been together for 16 years now um but and so and so even though it was still early stages with Cam, I knew quite quickly that we were going to be together for a long time. Um, You know, as it turns out, a really long time. Um, But he, um, and I'd had the conversation with him and said, you know, I started talking to a friend about this. If we're going to last, you need to know that I want to, I want to start a family. And he was, he was good with that. He was into the idea, but then it became the three of us. Um, and then the conversation sort of had to change a little bit because we were like, okay, well, how does that work right. suddenly? There yeah. are three parents. Um, and what will the three of us bring? How, 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 do we, how do we navigate that? In fact, that was I ended up with um, a column in the national newspaper, The Guardian, called The Three of Us, which was mm-hmm. about this very thing. I was writing about it weekly. Um, and, and so we thought about that and talked about it a lot, probably too much. Um, and then we started exploring, you know, IVF and going down that route. And, you know, to cut a long story short, that you know, that's where we got to. And now we have two of the lovely little delightful humans that are downstairs on YouTube at the moment. I was going to say, <laughs> yes, they're downstairs on YouTube, and that's why they're delightful little humans. But in any case, <laughs> exactly. um, well, uh, just if I can back up for a second, I want to understand. Um, mm. So... Did you actually do IVF with her or... uh, At home, you mean? No, I mean, uh, a little bit, somewhat old-fashioned. Close to old-fashioned, except not. Well, I guess. I mean, we didn't sleep together. Right. That wouldn't wouldn't have been appropriate um, (laughs) or necessary. Right. Um, No, we decided that we would go for IVF. and that's that option was available to us. So, yeah. so that's what we did. All right, um, listen, I, I, I'm and, sorry. To, I'm sorry yeah. to do this, but I have to because I think it's actually valid and important. IVF is very expensive. Um, what you guys did was: did you actually take an egg from your friend and mm-hmm. fertilize it outside of her body, or was this done? 
you know, through fertilization inside her body, which is infinitely cheaper. Yeah, that one. Okay, it was her I egg, see. Her body, my I sperm. See. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm I'm asking yeah. because I think that there are a lot of people who don't fully recognize the fact that when you're doing it in the combination of one egg donor and a different person, car- a different woman carrying the child, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is an expensive that's medical that's surrogacy. Right. And in this case, what we're really talking about is uh, avoiding the <laughs> the discomfort of sleeping together when in, but, but otherwise uh, most of the process is pretty damn similar. Yeah, exactly right. that. Okay, exactly. thank so, you. How we, old are we tried, we tried the whole turkey baster thing? Did you? At home. Uh, I didn't oh, yeah, want to sure. say the Not word turkey baster because I was uncomfortable saying it. But now that you've said it, yeah. <laughs> well, we didn't use an actual turkey. Baster, <laughs> those are the big. But um, you know, I'm Vera, but not. Actually, <laughs> but no, we 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 tried that method. It didn't work, and it turned out there were some some physiological reasons mm. why that wouldn't have worked. And actually, it seems that Catherine may have had problems getting pregnant naturally anyway. I so, see. So actually, IVF was the perfect thing for us. Understood. Um, and yeah, and we had a few attempts, and and then it worked. So what do you have? How old are we? Have kids a boy and a girl. Yeah. Um, Georgia, who's eleven, going on twenty six, <laughs> and Hal, who is nine, going on four. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, yes. But I... They're great. They're, they're they're really fantastic kids, and they've just come home from school, and yeah, as I say, they're they're glued to their screens downstairs. Yeah. And in terms of parenting, all through, from a legal perspective, who are the parents? Oh, from a legal perspective? Yes, from a legal perspective. Uh, well, that's an interesting question. On the birth certificate, yes. it's me and Catherine, uh-huh. as mother and father. And yet, Cameron is my husband. And if something were to happen uh, and we were to split, we mm. would split up, break up, divorce, whatever, um, and there was a court case... I believe the courts here would look at our situation from the children's point of view, which is absolutely right. Right. Um, And so even though Cameron is not technically one of the birth parents, I think he would have rights because they have rights. I see. Do you see what I mean? So they look at what's best for the kids. So they would not take the kids away from him because he's not biologically involved. It would be, well, what's best for them? Right. He's been there since, you know years right. before they were born um Understood. so yes but it's it was it you know biologically they are mine and Catherine. Catherine is also an actress right mm-hmm. yeah. um so both of you have been in the public eye i want to say uh mm-hmm. through this uh what's yeah. it like like what's the what's the what was the media reaction to it in the uk because it was not that common <laughs> well interestingly yeah it was you know This was long before people like Elton and David had kids or Ricky Martin or any of those guys. I I like to think they all copied me. Um, (laughs) Well, you're referring to Elton and David by their first names, so obviously you have that kind of relationship with them. (laughs) (laughs) I do know them, yes. Uh, But, yeah, no, I'm just being facetious. Um, But, yes, no, Elton and David are great, and they're great parents. Something tells me they haven't struggled on the escalator at the tube station with a double buggy before. But, you know, I'm sure their experiences of parenting are very different mm, to mine. But yeah. They're both great dads. Um, I know that. Um, it was <laughs> it was very interesting when when the kids were born, when Georgia was born, and then how I was on a TV show here called Coronation Street, which is a big show, um, and I was on it for a number of years. Uh, and I, so I was very much in the public eye. I was famous. Uh, 
And I made a conscious decision to talk about this because when I was growing up, as I said, there was nobody. There was nobody in the public eye that was doing what I had done. And we had to figure it out ourselves. And we had no role models. Not to, you know, be arrogant enough to call myself a role model. But what I wanted was for people to see that I was doing it and it's possible. And so because there was nobody talking about it, I decided that I was going to talk about mm. it. And because I had a public profile and I was very famous at the time, it was easy for me to go to the Guardian. I mean, maybe naive. I thought if I just went to the Guardian and said, can I have a, a weekly column writing about my experiences? They'd say, yeah, absolutely, of course. Um, but actually, that's exactly what happened. And they gave me a column. Um, and and. I did it on purpose because I wanted the conversation to change, because I wanted people to know that apart from a few logistical differences and, you know, the getting pregnant stuff, that stuff aside, being a parent is the same. It, it, it's just as mundane and boring and relentless for gay people as it is for straight people. And when I'm sitting at home doing homework with my daughter or, you know, changing my son's nappy when it was whatever, the last thing I'm thinking about is who I'm attracted to. I mean, it's just irrelevant when yeah. you're a parent. Um, and so I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to show people that actually there's nothing extraordinary about gay people having children it's right. just it's it's just normal for want of a better word and it it's, should be it's so interesting because you know Jan I'm hearing him talk about this and I'm like our, our parenting isn't at all like that for us it's just going out to the clubs all <laughs> night every night and dancing and, and singing pouring glitter and, and singing right every night. I mean that's all we do I don't know what you're talking yeah. about uh <laughs> yeah I I I do think and I it's something that in this podcast we we've really enjoyed doing as well is that discovery that I think in some ways we've had ourselves of just how similar this is to all of our straight friends who have had yeah. children. You know, at the beginning, maybe we also thought that we'd be special and different, and it turns out, no, not at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we didn't get to the question of the legality of surrogacy in the UK. Um, mm. Is it? I think so, but I, the people that I know that have done it have done it in... I, I think there are not as... The rules are not as strict. I mean, I may be wrong here, so mm. I'm not sure. But in America, there are very clear guidelines and legalities around right. it. And I'm not so sure how clear that is here. That's, I think that's why a lot of okay. people go to America to do it. Very good. Mm. So um, I was going to ask about Catherine, because you were in the public eye and you, were to, you talked about this. But mm -hmm. she, was she comfortable with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. We, we discussed it. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have just gone ahead and done it. Instead. <laughs> Is this something that we can talk about? But it was really interesting. I remember I was on the cover of one of the national newspapers once and there was a photograph of me and the headline said, Coronation Street stars secret love children. Oh, that's and so I good. I, I saw it in the shop. I didn't even know the story was happening. It was one of our tablets. I love this. And I picked it up like, what? Like, who are these secret love children that I'm supposed to have? And then I realized that they were talking about my two children who I had not stopped talking about for wow. about three years. Uh, I had a column in, the, local, in the, the, the national newspaper. I was on television all the time discussing it on morning 
chat shows. Right. I, I mean, literally, I could not have talked about my family more. And one I, of the tabloids I, made it. The into tabloids. What is the hilarious. what is the question? So you went on this morning show. What is the question that they asked you the most there? Um, I guess people ask the same kind of questions. How I does guess. it work? Oh. You know, how do you how do you split the time? What do the kids think? You know, uh, all of those kind of right. basic things. I think before we did it. We were worried. We didn't know if we were going to get it right. We were kind of, we sort of stumbled in it, into it blindly. Um, and also, you know, weirdly looking back, one of the reasons I decided to be so public about it was because I, it was almost like I wanted to make sure that I did it right. And if I was doing it publicly, I couldn't mess it up, you know, right. because I was there, one of the first people doing this. And so I had to set a good example. Right. Um, and, and I think I sort of weirdly did that to myself. It was like a kind of, okay, I can't hide now. Right. I need, I need to make sure that I get this right because it's not just me. This is, you know, this is bigger than that. It's about, it's about a lot of LGBTQ people looking to me and going, all right, then go on, then show us, show right. us how you're going to make this normal. And not just the LGBT um, community, but everybody else who's questioning whether or not it is possible for a gay parent to do it right uh, puts us under a bit of a magnifying glass. And if it puts us under a magnifying glass, it really puts you under a magnifying glass. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the, what I always think about uh, co-parenting is the, like, is the fear of the cop, the co-parents to fight, like really big fights. Um, and I was wondering if you were, th you were afraid of that going into it and if it happened and how it resolved. Um, I think we were afraid of a lot of things, really. Um, no, I'm, I'm pleased to say it hasn't happened. I mean, listen, we disagree. Um, you know, Cameron and I disagree on things here. Catherine and I disagree sometimes. Cameron and Catherine disagree sometimes. We all have different styles and different ways. And, you know, sometimes she'll think that we let them watch too much TV or give them too many sweets or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. All those small things. But then all parents disagree on that kind of stuff. Yeah. On the on the big things, the big issues, we stand as one. And I, and I think the reason that that's worked so well is because we are all really good at communicating because we haven't had a choice. It was the only way that it was going to work. We don't have the luxury of sulking with each other if they do something that pisses us off. You know, we don't, we don't have that, that luxury. We have to get it out and talk about it because we don't want to be in a situation where things have soured, where our relationship soured. And I know of, uh, 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 of families co-parenting uh, situations where that has happened. And it's, just horrendous i mean it's awful right. it's awful for the kids but it's awful for everybody so we never allowed ourselves to get to that point and we're really good and it you know it makes for some difficult conversations sometimes you know uh, catherine may phone me up and say okay we've got to have a chat this has happened uh -uh. and i'm not happy about it and i'll do the same or cameron will uh, but it's fine we haven't well, i'm lucky to say touch wood <laughs> it's 11 and a half years so far nearly 12 and we haven't had any falling outs yet mm. My husband and I have also never had a disagreement, so we don't really understand <laughs> what that looks like. Except every five minutes. But yeah. <laughs> and as we started recording today's podcast. But uh, I do, I do want to ask this. Um, so your kids have three parents. 
Mm-hmm. And our kids have two. And I am, yeah. uh, you must know other, other, fa- well, of course, you probably know other straight families that have two parents, but what or three you, or, or I don't know, maybe three. What do you think the, um, the differences are for your kids of having three parents? I mean, maybe everyone well, should do it. I don't know. It's actually not that unique. It sounds like it is, um, but it isn't. I had three parents because my mum and dad split up when I was very small, mm, a baby, and right. my mum remarried. And she's with my stepfather and has been for 46 years, uh, 47 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in effect, I had a mother and two fathers as well. Right. Um, that's not to say that Cameron is a step-parent. He isn't. He's, a, he's an equal parent like all of us because right. that's how it works and that's what the kids think but when i was growing up my stepfather didn't feel like a stepfather he felt like my dad i called right. him my dad um and then you know my my biological father i had a good relationship with him and he passed away 15 years ago or something um i just so here i was in my mid-30s by then um i just grew up as somebody who had two dads right. um and it and a lot of kids have that a lot of kids some have four you know some have two step parents when their parents have remarried that they're really close to so it's actually not that unusual um i just think maybe the roles are slightly more undefined um in in that situation right i don't know part of me is asking also because i wonder about things like the distribution of work on the part of the parents sounds like three three's great it's one more person to take the kids to school or, or what have Absolutely. you. Yeah, very Absolutely. interesting. You know, that, and that works really well. <laughs> That's <laughs> it amazing. It works really well. We have the kids completely half and half. So at the moment, and the way that it's worked for a long time is Catherine has them on a Monday and a Tuesday. We uh-huh. have them on a Wednesday and a Thursday, and then we alternate the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and that works really well because it means that we all get time off, uh, which means that we are not exhausted and strung out and we don't get snappy and ratty with them because we never get to that point where we think, oh, my God, I just need a break because we get a break, you know, Mm -hmm. and Catherine gets a break and the kids get a break from us. So it actually works out really well. I mean, listen, I'm I'm not saying the whole thing is ideal and it's an ideal situation. Of course, there are pros and cons. Right. But I genuinely believe the pros of our situation outweigh the cons. I think we're really lucky that we do get that time. It's incredible. Um, it's sorry. It's incredible. I mean, I, I will be honest with you. I'm listening to you say that, and yeah, it, <laughs> I'm having palpitations. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking maybe we need a third. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> let's go out on the street and see if there's anybody we know. <laughs> sure. Uh, um, I, I shouldn't belittle it because obviously the key to the f- fact that this is working is that not only do you have a wonderful relationship with your husband, but you have a mm. long and and deep wonderful and close relationship with your with with their mother as well, and that yes. is yeah. that's we amazing. Do. And actually, it's lovely because this isn't a situation where we were together and we got divorced and we're not together anymore. That was never we were never romantically involved, yeah. and so we don't have any of that baggage. Right. We don't have any of the kind of, you know, any of the bitterness that there may be or any of the our relationships had to change. And I mean, of course, it's changed because we now parent together. But none of that going from romantic to co-parents to friends to whatever it is. We didn't have any of that. So right. it, it's made it much easier. And Catherine's very good. Cameron and I are in a relationship. We are a couple. She is not part of our marriage. Right. Um, and and Catherine and I were the biological parents. And, and so 
from my point of view, I'm never compromised. And it could have easily been that the other two felt slightly outside. Catherine right. may not have felt included in the relationship. Cameron might have felt not included because biologically he's not involved with the kids. And actually, I think we all worked really hard and, and it wasn't a problem. We were lucky at, that we were all very clear on that stuff. Um, there are clear boundaries there. It would have been weird if Catherine started, you know, treating one of us or both of us as if we were partners. Or right. if Cameron started pulling away because, you know, I don't know, the kids don't look like him or whatever it is. It, 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 we, didn't, we didn't have any of those issues. We were lucky. Yeah, I think that uh, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful way to look at it as it's a new kind of relationship because we know, you know, we know what husband is, we know what boyfriend is, we know what mm-hmm. you know, friends are or divorce. Like co-parenting is like different. Yeah, it's, that's right. it's an it's invention new. of a new kind of relationship that you need to kind of be in a state of mind of. Sure, sure. It's, it's lovely. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We do have a final segment, which is um, very, very serious. It's not, it's not okay. serious. It's not serious at all. Um, but before we get to it, I, do, I, I did want to mention one thing. So I was, I was reading about you on Wikipedia, and I came across something that, for some reason, I've read it a thousand times about people, and it just it made me laugh out loud. It oh referred God, what to did you, it say? Well, don't worry. <laughs> you're in a, amongst a very large list of people who this, this applies to. Apparently, you are openly gay. And I was uh, reading that, that and it, it just made me... So, it, it was so funny. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, they don't call me openly Jewish, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the time when openly gay is no longer <laughs> a category. But you are openly Jewish. But I am. Uh, but aren't you excited that you're openly gay? Isn't that wonderful? Do you know what? I actually wrote an article about this for one of the magazines here, Attitude Magazine, uh, and I think the headline was "My Problem with the Phrase Openly." You're dead. kidding no. me! Oh my god! No, you can Google it online. <laughs> I have a real problem with that phrase um, for all the reasons that you just said. Because I think wrapped up in that tiny little word is a whole heap of prejudice. Of course, um, and you know, and I—it's silly. People mm-hmm. don't ask ask that anymore. Right? I'm I'm gay. Right. Um, that's that's that. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. I think it comes down to the question of you know, Shh. he's openly gay. <laughs> exactly no, I I that. think exactly I think that, that there is no doubt that there are a lot of people in the closet, a lot of people on the down low. Yep. Um, there's no doubt. But then the question is, how has it shifted? To what extent? And do when when do we stop saying openly gay because we no longer say openly Jewish? There are Jews who are trying exactly. to pass as not Jewish as well, but we don't say openly Jewish because that would be ridiculous. And then the yeah, question exactly. is, where do we cross that line with with gays? Maybe maybe we're almost there. Hope so. Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, they, they you see it less and less. I think I wrote that piece maybe ten years ago, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, openly gay. Um, yeah. Our questions. This is the lightning round. I hope you're ready. Uh, okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'll give it a go. What was your children's first solid food? Oh, my God. Well, with my daughter, who was the firstborn, it was probably something organic and uh, uh, straight out of the earth and and washed very quickly and sterilized water like a carrot or something. <laughs> with my son, who came second, I don't know, it was probably a sausage. Right. <laughs> Oh, my God, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, ah, yeah, we tried that thing. (laughs) Yeah, they'll be fine. Right. Uh, Number two, um, what is currently your most frequent dinner? Oh, um, well. And don't lie. They've just got into curries. 
they're oh. really into curries oh. at the moment, so we do a lot of different curries um, because they seem to like spicy food, which is great. Yeah, nice. Okay, wow. Yeah. Um, do you or your husband or your uh, their mother uh, mm-hmm. have a an unusual family cold or flu remedy that you would like to share with us? Oh, no, but it's one of the areas that we differ on because Catherine will, will try everything before she gives the medicine, whereas I'm straight to the drugs. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. right. Will massage and, you know, breathing and whatever it takes, hot baths and everything. I'm like, nope, get the drugs. Yes, get the drugs. Um, so, yeah, no, that uh, not really. Nothing. Alex is with you. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, yeah. First thing that you as a family would like to do when the pandemic lockdowns ease. Oh my God, go somewhere to eat where I don't have to cook it. Um, I'm so bored with <laughs> being at home cooking all the time. Um, so that's one of the things, uh, and that's starting to happen quite soon here. But also it was my son's birthday in January and we promised we'd take him to the Harry Potter world. Um, and so I think that's going to be the first thing we do as a as a five and the last question, and easily the most important, is please name a specific gay icon from the UK. Does not have to be gay themselves, but are an icon to the gays that you think are the most representative, and you are not allowed to name yourself. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, I would, uh, well, I Steps. would say, funnily enough, somebody I just spoke to on the phone today, I know her. And we, I don't know if you guys get the UK version of Drag Race over there, um, but that's just been on the screens here. Mm. And one of the queens also named this person, uh, and her name is Princess Julia. And she <laughs> is, she was a club kid. She is now a DJ, a fashionista, an artist, a muse. Wow. Um, she is so part of the LGBTQ community and so supportive and so great for young um young people growing up um she's very involved with the community i would say she is um a true gay icon well and as a and as a princess from what i'm understanding there's there might be an opportunity for her to step up to the monarchy because (laughs) things as they've been actually i don't want to get myself in trouble um charlie (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today this has been great you are very welcome it's it's amazing that you are like in the public eye and and you know so openly gay. You're openly and, gay and doing openly like openly gay and dad. openly a parent as yeah. well. <laughs> exactly. Be well. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Bye bye. Right. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Alex, are you openly gay? <laughs> I can't. I've tried I'm, to be closely gay, and it just doesn't work. It's like if I try to go for straight, or I try to go for like Christian, I can pull it off for like a third of a second before everyone's like, "Yeah, now that's not working for you." Uh, that is Square the Gay Dads podcast with Alex and Jan. We're back. Um, do you want me to go over the um, options for gay men in the UK? I do. All right. So we'll start with adoption. So adoption, the main thing about this is that there's no difference between uh, adopting as a straight couple and as a gay couple. Uh, There are a few stages though, and I kind of listed them out. And by the way, 
All of the things that I'm saying right now can be found on dandysqr.com slash United Kingdom. Uh, we have the uh, inquiry stage, which is where you are right now, you guys. So you're listening to Wait, us and you want who, to adopt. Who are you that are listening? There are listeners. Who How do you want know? To adopt? Well, we have listeners who already have kids. We have no, but I, if they want to adopt. Very well. Uh, and then stage one, they check you and your home. It takes about two months. Uh, stage two is assessment. It takes about four months. And then approval, which is a panel. It takes about a week. And then family finding, uh, which is the actual matching process. It takes about a year, wow. six months to a year. And the placement. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say something about adoption, which I find so interesting. In mm-hmm. our interviews so far, we've had countries where adoption is happening and it's a significant thing. And then we have other uh, countries where there's almost no adoption because there are almost no kids up for adoption. And I am really curious to look into why. I mean, I suspect that part of the reason why is that from a policy and culture perspective in some countries, um, women don't have have children that they don't want to have you know and interesting for any number of reasons but uh i find it fascinating i don't know what the ratio is in the uk but it looks like it's kind of even mm. like in america that adoption and surrogacy and co-parenting are the same level right right uh with foster care there are over sixty-five thousand children across the uk that are in foster families right now every year there are thousands more wow. and it's something that they always look for um, and I think it's the easy way to parenthood at the moment for gay men. Uh, what's important is that the authorities say that you have to know that you're taking care of the child as a part of a team. And the team is include them, their authority, and schools, health professionals, and sometimes even the child's birth family. Yeah. So it's a whole, it's not only you. Co-parenting, I think that what Charlie talked about is kind of the guide for co-parenting. Mm-hmm. I, I would follow his example and really read his column that he talked about. It's all on daddysqr.com slash United Kingdom. Um, in the UK, the law regarding shared parenting is somewhat ambiguous and can often change from case to case. So even if you have a contract, it's not really, you know... Mm-hmm. Um, Enforceable. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that I want to mention before we go to surrogacy and with that, uh, the help of men having babies, uh, is about coming out. So there's a lot of cases uh, from famous people in the UK who come out after they have kids already. Mm. And we have two, I think, two very prominent celebrities. One is, one is Philip Schofield, who we talked about in previous seasons, and uh, Duncan James, he's a singer from Boy Band Blue. Okay. Both of them came out when their kids were adults already, and uh, they suffer uh, some sort of homophobia, and the kid, their kids also suffer sometimes. And there's a lot of uh, resources out there for gay men like that about how to come and to explain to your kids about your sexuality and coming out. Right. So this is also an issue. And I think that if somebody is listening to us who is in the closet and considering that, Please look at these people and see what they did and their reaction because they are, they are uh, I think, a brave example. Yeah. Surrogacy? Surrogacy, I've heard of it. Didn't yeah. we do that? Surrogates in the UK are the child's legal birth parents. And if she's married, her husband is the legal parent. So At the time with, of at, the birth. At the time of the birth. Yeah. So um, the legal parenthood can be transferred by parental order. Uh, after the child is born. And uh, that's a process that you have to do in the UK. And we have men having babies here, here, not here specifically, but 
in general. They're in their corner, the <laughs> MHB corner. They're in their Bring corner. Them here and they're from going, their corner. Yes. And they're going to talk to us about uh, surrogacy in the UK and some of the interesting angles uh, involved. This is MHB Corner. As it turns out, uh, the UK is one of the countries where surrogacy has been practiced for many years. Uh, legally, and also, uh, as it turns out, very uh, closely monitored by a lot of researchers, which we really appreciate. Uh, what's unique to the UK is that the same as uh, the situation in, the, in uh, South Africa, only local residents can benefit from uh, surrogacy domestically. And similarly to Canada, uh, surrogates are not formally compensated. Um, there is another difference, uh, big difference between surrogacy in the UK and the United States, and that is that at the moment of birth, there is less legal certainty about who is the parent insofar as that there needs to be a formal act that would uh, allow the surrogate to give up, so to speak, the child. And theoretically, she could uh, contest that or not go through it. A lot of these uh, elements of the British uh, system are currently under review. There's a law commission that uh, is getting a lot of feedback uh, from people, and some of these uh, benef- uh, some of these uh, tenants might change soon. Uh, but as it stands right now, uh, a lot of UK gay parents still choose to leave the United Kingdom and uh, pursue surrogacy elsewhere because of some of these limitations. Manhavingbabies.org that was Ron Dayan, director of Men Having Babies. Um, and, you know, he is going to talk to us in uh, subsequent episodes about uh, something that he touched on in this one, which is the specific question of what it means to pay a surrogate. And that it's a really fascinating subject because on one hand, we touched on this in previous episodes, there's this laudable idea that you don't want to turn surrogacy into something where women are being, you know, paid and perhaps exploited. But on the other hand, if you're not actually paying them um, fully for what it is that they're doing, uh, that's an exploitation as well. So skating that thin line of what it means to reimburse a woman for the, the 9, 10, 12 months that she's working on this project is is fascinating, and we'll be talking about it some more. Daddy, that's QR.com. I can't really leave the UK episode without talking my, about my gay icons from the UK. Because, oh, right. you know, good, I, grew, good, good. I grew up with that. If I had to tell you guys, who are my three top gay icons? Because I can't name one. Okay. Top gay icons from the UK. So it's non-specific order. The first one is Sonia. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh as much as you I'm want. I'm not laughing. Sonia just, Evans. I, I don't know if you can define that as an icon, but go Excuse on. Excuse me. All right. Well, when I was a kid, she... She was, before Britney Spears, she was the youngest singer to ever be in the number one okay. in, in spot in the UK. The second one is Jennifer Saunders. Okay. You know who she of is? Of course. Okay. I think she became famous also in the US, because not only because absolutely fabulous, but she also was somebody's mother on Friends. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Is she yeah. a dame? Did the queen make know. her a dame? I don't know. By the way, that is so much cooler than being a sir. <clears throat> being a dame, dame <laughs> Judy Dench. It's so cool. Go on. And the third one is Lisa Scottley. 
Wait. You don't know who she is. Wait. She I know, is wait. A, who is she? Well, she is a singer. She used to be in a, she used, she still is in a band called Steps. Oh, right, right, right. She had a solo career and then reality TV show with her brothers. And then she came back to Steps. But everything about her, it's like, she's like my ultimate gay icon, I think. No, I'm sorry. There's something about okay, her. Can I just point out you, one thing? Wait, yeah. I, I, so there is this guy, a gay man, as a matter of fact, from, from England... Well, yeah. His name is Elton fucking John. Sir Elton fucking Sir well, fucking Elton fucking John. And you just leave him on the list? Excuse me. Sonia? Uh, I was talking about my gay icons. Okay. And I think Sonia is a better gay icon than Elton. I'm sorry. I, I, because I look, Elton I, John is like for everybody. And I'm talking about something that I feel that the gay audience like more... Okay, in couples therapy, we're going to talk about the definition Sonia. of icon. But on top of that, <laughs> we'll talk I just about want to Sonia say, I just want to say, because I'm sure that he's listening, Elton, listen, you're a gay dad. I'm sure you're a decent one. Let's talk about your parenting. Come on the show. He said What's he doesn't deal? want to. What, he says he doesn't want to come on the show? He said, you asked he, him? Yeah. Well, they said, ask David. And they say <laughs> they don't talk about their personal life. And I, I really, you know, I, I didn't push no, they, I understand. And I totally understand. Listen, when you have the Why kind, would they? When you have the kind of fame that Elton and we have, you have certain concerns about, you know, yeah. discussing your your personal life. I understand that. Yeah. Last thing I'm going to say today is that we have a a new Instagram account at Daddy SQR, which is Gay Dad's recommendations. So you're going to go there now and see uh some stuff that gay dads like mm. um, from all around the world and it's something that we just started and I'm really passionate about it and it's really really cute and it's helpful so you can see What's other the families <laughs> it's at daddy sqr <laughs> and of course everything is on daddy sqr.com and don't forget to email us at hello at daddy sqr.com <sighs> let's go to bed <laughs> Alex That's so have awful. a great week you too Bye, guys. Daddy, that's QR.com. <laughs>